It's me, David Webb, and here's a highlight from today's show on Sirius XM Patriot. Joining me now, Peter Navarro, economist, author, and former assistant and director of trade to President Trump. Uh, Peter, great to have you in on this, because while so many things are going on around the world, newsworthy, deadly in many cases, China continues to march forward asymmetrically and with every instrument of national power. So overview, how do you see China today? And is there a economic component of this when it comes to oil, energy and Russia? There's uh, there's a huge component uh, to this, uh, which is to say, David, that um, we're going to Biden, the Biden regime is going to take a economic sanctions designed to cut off uh, the trade in oil for Russia. Right. Uh, what's going to happen is China is going to buy every single drop of that oil and basically thereby do two things. One, it's going to largely neutralize the sanctions. And two, it's actually going to squeeze uh, Putin a little bit because uh, Xi Jinping is going to be able to pick up that oil at a discount. So China, in many ways, is in the catbird seat. I remember back in 2015, I wrote a book called Crouching Tiger. One of the chapters in it was 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 chilling, um, which is to say that when you marry the manufacturing might with the Russian natural resource base, um, you have a coalition um, that um, is extremely powerful. I think you know this. Russia has the largest landmass in the world. Uh, its Siberian uh, area in particular um, is not only blessed with uh, uh, hydrocarbons, but also all sorts uh, of, of minerals um, and other kind of resources that, that fit right into the Chinese machine. The thing that was... Okay. The thing that was most uh, chilling, again, uh, about the Beijing Genocide Olympics was the opening ceremony when Xi Jinping and, and Vladimir Putin were sitting in a box at an Olympics where Russia was actually banned from participating. And the two were no doubt talking about all manner of things. And we learned today one of them might have been that Xi Jinping asked Vladimir Putin to postpone his invasion of the Ukraine uh, until after the Olympics. So uh, <laughs> this is uh, China's the existential threat. China foisted the virus on us. China has 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 leveraged the virus uh, to great geopolitical effect. And right now, uh, China uh, is is gaining relative to the situation because of what's going on. You know, while we're watching, to your point, Peter, while we're watching Ukraine and, you know, the imagery on TV, the, the interviews, war in the Ukraine, what's China doing uh, for their part right now? We, I mean, you mentioned a couple of the aspects, and I've talked about things in the past that you and I have also discussed, uh, their real estate investment trust structure, the fact that they use the debt trap, they're expanding, uh, they help other regimes, but in the long term, it seems as if they have uh, ideas or certainly future plans for regimes, including Russia. The uh, the grand bargain between Russia and China, at least in the short term, is uh, Putin gets to invade Ukraine 
with uh, China's support. And a lot of that may well be uh, buying up their oil and shoring up their economy. And in exchange, uh, when Xi Jinping invades uh, Taiwan, as he seems hell-bent on doing um, sooner rather than later, Russia will assist um, in that effort, doing things like tamping down any uh, ability of the United Nations to get involved um, and giving them um, the kind of cover uh, that they need. You know, get, <laughs> if if, um, if the response to China invading Taiwan, for example, uh, were some kind of oil embargo or sanctions, which would interfere with China's purchase of oil on international markets, again, Russia comes to the rescue. So those, those two countries are going to operate in tandem in the short run. I've always thought, though, David, that Russia would be much better off aligning itself with the United States and the West, because right now, as we speak, uh, in Siberia, there's a there's a growing uh, Chinese population which has migrated into the area. The Russian birth rate is is negative. Uh, they had it's very sparsely populated area. Uh, Vladivostok, uh, China uh, has had its eye on that. So at one point, this could be a, a Hitler-Stalin kind of situation where uh, Hitler and Stalin were entered into a pact before World War II, and the next thing you knew, Hitler was invading um, Russia. So you know, complex geopolitical challenges rooted um, in history and self-interest and um, – a lot of people are going to die because of it. Yeah, there's so much more to this, and, and argue—not arguably, but understandably—for the average person listening, they say, you, you know, I don't see this, I don't feel this. Now we know the truth to be different from that, especially from an economic perspective. But how do we get this across? to as you have tried to do for i will say decades now peter you you've talked about yeah. these issues but how do we get this across to the average person that they need to pay close attention i've used examples of neighborhoods in america that have chinese owned properties industrial residential building they're building themselves into the american society and have done so pretty effectively First and foremost, and this is something that I tried to do uh, in the White House but, but failed, we, we have to draw the direct link between the uh, virus and China. Uh, this, this virus came from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. It was funded by Tony Fauci's uh, bureaucracy, ironically, um, and China has skated on this, and I think using the, the, this fundamental fact um, and ingraining it in the American people's psyche that China did this to us has to be the easiest and most important uh, first step. The second thing that kind of goes hand in hand with that, again, this is what I tried to do at the White House. It's America first with respect to our manufacturing. If anything, these these international conflicts and the virus have exposed the fact that if we don't build it here, that creates problems in terms of scarcity, in terms of inflation, 
Um, and right now we have very fragile supply chains because of the virus and now with this Russian thing. So I, I would say, you know, make America great again is, is, is what has to be ingrained as a message. Hold communist China accountable for what it has done, killing the American economy and killing the American people. I mean, that's, that's what, I mean, it's, and it's very frustrating, David. I've been, you know, back in 2006, the coming China wars, that was my first take on this. And, and um, I was not wrong. <laughs> and and yet, um, still, still, we've got the Larry Finks of this world and Steve Schwartzman up on Wall Street uh, using American pension fund money uh, to invest in Chinese military companies. I mean, you can't make that up. No, you can't. And sadly, what's happening now is becoming more and more obvious why I asked the question, how do we get people to understand this? They know it in the in the Wall Street quarters. They're paying attention, and some will let it go. We've seen even big, you know, big uh, corporations or corporate structures like the NBA, they want access to Chinese markets and their viewers. You look at Hollywood, the Chinese influence in Hollywood, yeah. uh, and yeah. so many other ways. And by the way, culture is important. They've built themselves into the elements of our culture, of Western culture. By design, the, the, the communist Chinese uh uh, attack is a, is a very multi-vectored one, and, and these Confucian institutes that come over and lavish money on our K through 12 um, system, which which uh, uh, then is subject to Chinese propaganda about this this country um, that that is a fiction um, in the curriculum, but becomes fact in in the minds of our young people. No, it's a, and look. David, I spent 25 years at the University of California, Irvine, and academia is as as penetrated by the communist Chinese as, as Wall Street is. It's grant money, it's, it's lucrative research things, it's think tanks set up on our universities, and it's all designed to project uh, this myth uh, of communist China. And Look, when I, again, when I was in administration, we, we did a lot to try to counter that. Uh, Pompeo at State, uh, particularly on some of these issues, was a good soldier to work with. But, uh, boy, um, it's a war we're, we're losing now. And, and the thought of uh, communist China and imperial Russia pursuing a revanchist agenda to take back Ukraine and Georgia and Belarus and, and Eastern Europe, uh, along with Taiwan, it's just <laughs> this is this is time to wake up and smell that coffee. Yeah, well, waking up and smelling the coffee, uh, I don't know, that might be not a good smell, Peter. Uh, my guest, yeah. Peter Navarro, economist and former assistant and director of trade to President Trump. You know, the genocide games, which you brought up a little while ago in Beijing, what was largely ignored by the world, even though it makes headlines occasionally, is what's going on with the Uyghur Muslims in China. 
the fact that countries were willing to go, and I was a proponent of a complete boycott, not this sham of a diplomat's not showing up as I saw it, but the absence of America and the absence of other nations would have been a much better view of this. But the world seems to ignore the Uyghurs. Does China have so much influence in many countries that they can you know, influence media, they can influence uh, politicians and others to ignore the genocide they carry out against an entire group of people? Sadly, uh, yes, with many exclamation points. Uh, we know uh, that Latin America and Africa are deep uh, into the debt diplomacy, which is as you pointed out, David, uh, China opens up its checkbook, lavishes these countries uh, with all sorts of money, and the next thing they know, uh, they're having to sell their ports to the Chinese because they couldn't pay the debt. That's all true. But it's also true that you, you know, London is a, is a financial center that runs on Chinese money. The Italians and the Greeks are heavily indebted now. Um, to the Chinese, um, it's you know they know how to they know how to wield soft power, and their their motto has always always been to to, uh, to take what they need without firing a shot, um, using whatever means necessary. I, I, I one of my deep regrets, David during the, uh, the, the Trump administration was our passivity when China took Hong Kong. I mean, let, let's be clear. Communist China crushed Hong Kong democracy on, on our watch. And I remember in the, fighting in the Situation Room um, with even people like Pompeo about the need to uh, basically totally cut off uh, the ability uh, of China to use Hong Kong as a conduit for global capital. And that was our best hope, really, for stopping what they were doing. And we didn't have the courage to do it. And, it, you know, it was the Kudlows and Mnuchins, uh, Bill Barr. Um, and it's... They're playing a different game, you know. They're playing hardball. We're playing softball. Well, what about China versus, well, I would say the Biden administration, and maybe there's the versus is even in question there because of influence with the, with Biden over the decades and with his family. This is not new to his presidency. But when you have China working their way into the G7s, uh, infrastructure plan, which Biden wants to be a part of this globalist approach in this global build back better world, the B3W initiative. As I always say, people should realize there's something that sounds familiar about build back better there. Uh, you know, China, Biden and the United States. I mean, have they just got the upper hand in every way or to what extent do they have the upper hand on Biden? David, there's there's many people inside the Biden regime uh, that have been compromised in some way or another by the Chinese Communist Party. Whether they were like think uh, think tanks and, and went to China, got money from China, gave speeches in China, this that, and the other thing. You know that's 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 a fundamental problem. But the second thing is 
I remember when I was in administration, I, I, I went over to Geneva, basically Switzerland, to um, basically uh, achieve what I think was one of the great achievements um, with the small letters of the Trump administration on diplomacy. Uh, they were screwing us on international postal rates, forcing America to subsidize communist China, sending us packages. It was crazy. I went over and fixed it for the president. But while I was there, and this is the bigger point, um, uh, one of the scariest things I saw was the size of the Chinese facility that services the World Trade Organization. Okay, My point here is going to be that China uses our rules when it suits them, and they do it often better than we do. When they joined the World Trade Organization in 2001 with Bill Clinton's help, it, it, it was a devastating blow to this country. What China did subsequent to that is build up the largest mission in, in Switzerland uh, to basically manipulate the World Trade Organization. And that's, that's a microcosm, David, of what they do to all different parts of our government, including the White House, which gets back to your original question. So, um, again, it's like elections have consequences. There was there was awareness behind the Resolute Desk that Communist China was an existential threat, and we took a lot of strong actions against them. Um, but we've lost a lot of what we had gained during the Trump administration, and there's a very, very long way to go. You know, you talk about our system, Peter, and in America, unfortunately, the way I see it, we're too bound to election cycles and change in administrations. Now, that's our system. We're a constitutional republic. I would never want to change that. But strategy has to be longer than four or eight years or six or 12 years. And that's what's lacking here. And you know, as we're talking here and just working through so many aspects of this, and we could probably go for about three hours and not even touch the tip of of a lot more of it. But you say they use our systems against us. It's effective strategy. They use other nations' systems against them. But we don't develop a coherent long-term strategy against China. Correct. Correct. And, and it's interesting. You, the observation you just made is really important for your listeners because I'd sit down across the table with the Chinese team, right? I'd have it'd be Kudlow, Mnuchin, it'd be Lighthizer, and we'd sit there. And they're looking at us knowing that we'd be gone in four or eight years. They'll be there forever. Those guys... Those guys, it's the permanent team. And that's an advantage. That's an advantage because they're allowed to, to execute a longer-term strategy. Uh, and we don't certainly do that. In fact, we blow back and forth with the winds, whether it's on Saudi Arabia or on China or on Russia. I, and I think it's really important to point out on behalf of President Trump that, look, Russia – was aggressive um, under Obama, and he was he's now aggressive under Biden. We had four years where Putin kept himself in his little box. Um, again, elections have consequences. Yeah, 
They certainly do, and we're watching the world in some cases blow up or burn while economically China expands its influence. I I really recommend people go back to Crouching Tiger. uh, That book came out of, what, about five, seven years ago, if I remember correctly. And it's a great read because you saw this coming, uh, and you have written and talked about this publicly for years and helped try to to craft policy against China's expansionism and their global ambitions. Peter, as always, my friend, thank you. My pleasure, David. You've, you've got this so right, and uh, it, I appreciate you, you talking about, uh, I think, the issue of our time. Thank you. And uh, get Peter's new book, by the way, In Trump Time, A Journal of America's Plague Year. You can get all things Peter Navarro at Peter Navarro. That. Um, You can join me live on The David Webb Show Monday to Friday, 9 to noon east on Sirius XM Patriot 125.